Praise God, praise God, praise God. Somebody asked why it was raining so much, and before I had time to answer, I got accused as being the cause of all the rain. They said, Brother Grant's the reason why it's raining. Because he said that he would rather have all of this sloppy, rainy, soupy Wisconsin weather than to have California weather. And so, if you want to know why it's raining, I have already been blamed. It hurt my feelings for a while, and I'm over it, so you can go ahead and blame me. It won't hurt me again. (laughs) Praise God. Isn't the Lord great? God is so very good to us, so good to us. Appreciate all of our parents for coming to the open house that we had at our school. This meant a lot to our student body to have our parents stop by. And then I do appreciate all of you who came to the parent staff meeting last evening, even though we had about 50% or better of our parents not here. Now we discussed something very important that we'll let you know about Sunday night. Something very important. You, If you had have been here, you would have had a vote. But Ben, you were not here. You don't have a vote. We just decided something very exciting. But we won't tell you until Sunday night. Wouldn't you like to know tonight? Well, we'll let you know Sunday night. (laughs) Luke uh, 14, and I want to read verse 25 and 26 and 27. We've been placing a lot of emphasis on stewardship. Our stewardship classes are really discipleship classes. A disciple is a follower after a person who follows after the teachings of someone else. In Luke 14, 25, Jesus said, and there went great multitudes. I said, Jesus, the word of the Lord says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, Then Jesus said, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. I want to talk to you about the very first principle of discipleship. And that is losing yourself in God. Denying oneself. The kingdom of self diametrically opposes the cross. A lot of people want to be a disciple of the Lord but they never reach the point in which they can blend into the body of Christ. And the only way that you can do that is to stop being independent. The only way you can do that is to lose yourself in God, deny yourself, and live for others. It was a beautiful thought that Brother Crowder called our attention to. And I guess I never really thought of it just the way he said it. 
But he said, I can be somebody's eye and somebody can be my foot. You notice he didn't say, you know, that he could be somebody's foot and somebody could be his eye. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> now, did he say it the way I said it? Did he say it the way he said it? <laughs> Everybody agreed with the preacher. I think I did turn that around. But I think that we have to understand that we do live, all live for each other. At the same time we live for the Lord. That all of our life and purpose comes from God. Let him deny himself. Now, the Bible says... That Jesus said, if any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and his own life. Now there are some things in this scripture that seem to contradict other passages of scripture. But really there is no contradiction there. When the Bible says... That he must hate his father, his mother, his wife, children, his brethren and sisters. We've got to understand that the word hate here is not used as it's used in some other places of the Bible. Now how would you know that, Brother Grant? Well, you can look up the word hate and find out that it doesn't have that meaning. But secondly, we know the Bible tells us that we are to love our parents. The Bible tells us that men should love their wives. They should love their children. The Bible even says that no man ever yet hated his own flesh or himself. So this is not hate as you would have some strong feelings of dislike. In fact, the Bible even tells us in Matthew 5, verse 44, that we are to love our enemies. It's pretty hard to hate your wife and love your enemies. Or at least it shouldn't be that way. Maybe for some it wouldn't be quite that difficult. But it's not supposed to be. So the the terminology that, that is used here, all of the terms that are defined as far as the emotion of hate, or our affections are concerned, are comparative terms. When we consider the love that we have for our earthly family, as it compares to the love that one should have for God, it is, comparatively speaking, as hating. There is just no way that you could compare. It's like comparing... The power of Satan against the power of God. Or the power of this world as compared to the power of God. The power of man. The wisdom of man. For the wisdom of man is as foolishness to God. Isn't that what the scripture says? Now it doesn't mean that that all of the wisdom that we have is 
mankind is foolish to God, but it seems to be that what God is saying is that it doesn't make any difference what level of intellect that you achieve, what level of knowledge you acquire, or what amount of wisdom you get. You know, you're so far down the ladder compared to where God is, it's almost like nothing. It's less than a drop in a bucket. And so that's what the scripture is saying. That as far as our love for God is concerned, it's like comparing hate with affection. When you consider where your first love and first loyalty should lie. Now, I'm a firm believer that if you really love God, you're going to love your wife more. If you really love God, you're going to love your children more. See, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Nobody can really love somebody else the way they need to love that individual until they love God. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. But you see, what Jesus was trying to stress... He said, now, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, and you can't be my disciple, you can't really follow me until you reach the point in which you are totally sold out. Now, he said that if you do not bear your cross and follow after him, what is the cross of man? The cross is no more than a symbol of self-denial. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, you see, everything that happened as, as Jesus Christ relates to his cross was a relation of self-denial. From the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus Christ Pray not my will, but thine be done. They sought to take his life. Peter took out his sword, chopped the ear of a Roman soldier off, and Jesus got down and picked it up and put it on the man. Rebuked his own disciples, said, Now, they that live by the sword shall perish by the sword. He was tried by the high priest. He was tried several times, or... He made several appearances before uh, thrones of authority the night in which he was tried. He could have refused if he had so desired. The Bible says that he could have called forth several legions of angels. But he didn't do it. He humbled himself. He submitted himself to the cross. And while all of those people were, were uh, blaspheming him, and he, what did he do? He didn't even open his mouth. Two people were hired to testify or lie against Jesus. Jesus could have no doubt because he was God in the flesh. He could have astounded them with his wisdom by telling those men where they got their story and who told them to tell it and how much money they got for telling it. But he didn't do it. Because the law of God of the Old Testament 
so stated that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. He had nobody to defend him. His disciples ran like scared rabbits. Peter even cursed and said, I don't know him. And Jesus then went to the cross all alone. He carried his own cross until he couldn't cross it, until he couldn't carry it anymore. And out of the crowd there was one compelled, a man by the name of Simon, to carry his cross. Now when we say compelled, somebody just got him and said, Look, you are a strong individual you take the cross it was not a voluntary act on Simon's part and you know a lot of people are trying they are really trying to be a Christian solely because that there are pressures and such placed on them but Jesus is saying I want you to voluntarily be what you are because love is something that can not be legislated you can't go to somebody and say I demand right now that you love me with all your heart it doesn't work that way does it you ever tried that it just doesn't work that way does it where did all this business then about self get started I think it would be wise for us to look at this because a lot of us suffer over a period of time of this syndrome of just going back into this and after a while you know we just don't want to do this and we don't want to do that and we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that self will destroy you keeps you out of church keeps you from being a good steward like I told last evening but I'll tell it again this evening you know you've seen these bumper stickers that said honk if you love Jesus I saw one the other day. He says, Pay your tithes if you love Jesus. Anybody can honk their horn. <laughs> I don't know who came up with that one, but <laughs> what they say, honking a horn's no real proof that you, anybody can honk their horn. You see, where did all this come from anyway? How come. How come we keep slipping back into this? And don't say you don't. I know that you do. It happens to me. It happens to Brother O'Neill. It happens to Brother Cox. It happens to everybody. You know, if, if you could keep from going back into this syndrome of self, you never would have to fast. And you could cut your praying in half. See, fasting is not designed to move God. It's designed to move you. Prayer moves God and fasting moves you. Why do you have to be moved? Because you get selfish. Where did it all start? Let's turn to Revelation 12. Well, it's raining because of Brother Grant. <laughs> Who said amen? <laughs> Revelation, the 12th chapter. Now, I believe for the most part that Revelation is in chronological order. 
And the reason why I say that, because the word revelation itself denotes an entirely different approach to all of the prophecy of the whole Bible. If you look at Isaiah, the prophecy given there, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all of the prophets of old, when they prophesied, you will find that the prophecy is not always in chronological order. For the most part, Revelation is. That's the reason why it's called Revelation. John writes the book. He calls it Revelation. And it, for the most part, is in chronological order. So you can start in Revelation 1, go all the way to Revelation 22, and you see the sequence of events from before the beginning of time until after the closing of time, how they occur. Now, there is, however, for clarification, some shifting back and forth of some events. Now, how do you know when you shift back and forth? You know as it correlates with other history or other prophecy of the Bible cannot be taken totally out of context. You, you've got to put it all together just like we put this hate business together with other scriptures in the Bible. So in Revelation 12, it starts out said, saying, there, uh, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. I think this is talking about Israel. And she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Now this is, uh, <clears throat> verse 5 says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her ch child was caught up unto God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Now, look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Now the stars of heaven, the word star here means angel or messenger. And did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, if in the event the dragon stood there before the woman and waited for the birth, then what happened here must have happened sometimes before Jesus Christ was born. The truth of the matter, Jesus said, since the beginning, iniquity was found in thee. Now that's speaking of Satan. The third part of all the stars is speaking of third part of all of the angels of heaven chose to go with Lucifer, who was the archangel. Now in verse 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels, that's where we get the word uh, angel from. It's, it's translated just like the fourth verse, stars. Michael and, or Michael and his angels, this is, this is not speaking again about the bad angels here, but the good angels. 
He fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So uh, you see the word angels here and, and the word stars there. They are interchangeable. And prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, in verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Have you ever been accused by Satan of something? You know you have. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. doesn't make any difference what you do. Make some sacrifice, for an example, for the Lord. Just uh, feel the move of the Spirit. And while I do not like to count giving as a sacrifice, uh, some people at the time which they give it, it is sacrificial. And you can receive a real move of the Lord, and the Lord will instruct you to go and give something. You give it, and maybe two or three weeks later, it has not been returned to you. Now, the Scripture says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. But it doesn't say, If you give it tonight, it's returned tonight. Now, I know that this happens because it's happened before to me. And then all of a sudden, you have a bill or something, and it comes due, and you don't have the money to pay it. It's just like Satan to come by and make you feel that you did something very foolish. You know, you shouldn't have done that. You just, everybody else was given in, and you just felt that you need to keep up with the pace, and you did it. Now, next time, son, use a little more logic. Now, that's not only true in giving. You know, sometimes the Spirit of the Lord falls upon us in a mighty way, like tonight. And uh, you just feel like just getting out and running or, or dancing in the Spirit. You dance in the Spirit. And then after a while, you know, you stop and you settle down. and You get the feeling like maybe you shouldn't have done it. And then all of a sudden the devil starts talking to you about it. And sure enough, you know, you jump right on his side and... He said, now, didn't you really make a fool of yourself? And you answer back by saying, I sure did. Now, you need to be more careful next time. I sure will be. Has that ever happened to you? See? And so next time, everybody's getting a blessing. And you're just sitting there like a big rock pile. And uh, you want to, but you just... You've got this lingering memory of how foolish you were last time. And you get to thinking that all the people in the church, including the preacher, thought you were foolish. Maybe they didn't even know you were dancing in the Spirit. That ever happened to you? He's the accuser of the brethren. Now going back to this selfish stuff, if you would turn to Isaiah 14, here's how it all got started. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? 
How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I notice how many times the personal pronoun I is used. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That is, he was an archangel, was he not? Evidently in the chain of command, he was over a third of the angels. But you see, he didn't just want to be over his third. He wanted to be over all of them. That was just his spirit, see? And so, what will happen? He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms? Praise God. Now let's just back up just a little bit. We'll just look at this verse 12 through verse 14. How many times is the personal pronoun I found? Okay. Don't think it's found at all. In verse 12, is it? In verse 13, it's found 1, 2, 3. Verse 14, 4 and 5 times. So in two scriptures here, you found it, you see it found 5 times. Is that right? Did I overlook any of them? What was Lucifer's problem? Well, basically, he was hung up on himself. You know, when the Bible calls him the son of the morning, this word morning here is taken from Hebrew. It, it, it's making reference to, to light. The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. Evening and morning in the book of Genesis simply means that there was a period of light and there was a period of dark. Evening means darkness. and Morning means light. And Lucifer was the archangel in charge of light or revelation. He was a pretty smart dude, wasn't he? And he thought he was. <laughs> you ever get to thinking you're pretty smart? Well, every now and then we all do that, don't we? You know, we can make just a real big blunder. We get to feeling like we're nothing. Every now and then I hear people say, well, I just hate myself. No, you don't. Now, I know that a lot, a lot of people disagree with me. When the Bible says no man ever, ever yet hated his own flesh, I really think that's what the Bible means. They say, well, what about people who commit suicide and such? The truth of the matter is, there is a self-love that reaches the place that it is sickening and destructive. There are people that don't like to be criticized, they don't like to receive instructions, they don't like to go out in the public because they're afraid of what people will say. You know, truthfully, if you study an introvert, an introvert is a person who is so stuck on himself that he won't even open his mouth in public for fear that somebody will say, wow, that guy is really, really goofy. 
And he can't bear that type of criticism. See? And there is a self-love that is destructive. It reaches the point of being a sickness. And so, I just assume when the Bible says that we are to love our neighbors ourselves, that the Lord is just taken for granted that everybody just loves themselves. Just consider everybody else like you consider yourself. That's the reason why the golden rule is a rule that's not only given by Jesus, that's where it came from, but it's one that's been practiced in the world in many, many areas of social life. Basically, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It never fails. How you want to be treated is the way you ought to treat and if you follow that rule, you won't have problems. See. Jesus is the author of that. It just works, doesn't it? So here's Satan. He just wanted to... The Bible doesn't say he wanted to overthrow God. He just wanted to be equal with God. And God has no equal. And any time you get stuck on yourself to the point... That, that you can't just lose yourself in Calvary and live for a purpose much greater than your own. You know what happens to you? You begin to rebel against God. Because rebellion is one of the first fruits of selfishness. Isn't that right? Is everybody out there tonight? Where were all those amens that I heard a little bit earlier? See, now Jesus knew that the disciples understood that the cross was a symbol of separation and self-denial. Now Jesus knew that. The reason why is because he had been in the streets of Jerusalem many, many times... Jesus was not the only man that was crucified on the cross. Many, many people died on the cross for the time that Jesus Christ was born, the time that he died. And to see somebody carrying a cross down the cobblestone streets was not an unfamiliar scene. And they understood that that man is going to die. He's going to give his life. He has no hope. There's a band of soldiers around him and security is so tight. He will be nailed. He has already been tried. And it's only fair then that we take up our cross. Why? Because you see we have already been tried. The pronunciation of death has already been passed our way. For the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. You're worthy. Not only you're worthy, you're guilty of death. But you see, Jesus made an exception, and Jesus said, now I'll give you life, but please understand this one thing, that the cross is not licensed now for you to go out 
and do what you want to do. And some of us get this idea every now and then that, man, we're just so free we can't be told anything. And we're so free that we just do what we want to do. And it doesn't work that way. Now, you may say, but Brother Grant, it seems unfair. Well, let me just give to you one principle of life. You never find a selfish person who is genuinely happy. Never. You won't find it in the church, and you won't find it out of the church. And every now and then, outside of the church, there will be some great medal that's hung up on some individual for some great accomplishment. But in all cases, the people are always considered to be very unselfish. And I have personally seen people stand behind podiums like this and given honors that had nothing to do with church work who stood there with tears in their eyes and cried and said, I'm, I'm, I'm happier now being a servant than I've ever been in my whole life. But nobody ever gets a medal for being nice to themselves. And Jesus said, you know, when you give, he said, give in secret. Now the reason why he said, because if you exalt yourself, he said, you shall be abased. And but he said, now if you give in secret, you have your reward. But if you go tell everybody, he said, that is your reward. That's all you get. And everybody goes around tooting their own horn, so to speak, telling how good they are and how nice they are. They get their reward. They recognize themselves, but nobody else does. Every now and then, it'd be good just to take inventory as to how often you use your own name or you refer to yourself in conversations. Just try that every now and then. Just look at that. Say, it's a, it's a real good way of taking inventory. Let's all, for the next week, why don't we do this? Why don't we just see in our own conversation day by day how often we refer to ourselves? I did this, I did that, or I got my feelings hurt, or this, did, this happened to me, or she did this to me, and I this and I that, and so forth. How many of you will cooperate with me in that? Would you do that? Now, let's be truthful now, okay? Let's get right down to it. Because there's some of these principles we really do need to learn. Now, we turn to Acts, the book of Acts. And we'll certainly not try to cover everything in the book of Acts as it relates to the apostles. But uh, I guess it must have been five or six years ago that I decided that I would just take a look in the book of Acts at all of the persecutions that came, all the trouble that came, and all the prayers that were prayed. You know, out of all the persecution that came upon the apostles, the many times that they were beaten, the many times that they were stoned, the many times they were placed in prison, I failed to find one prayer in which a man prayed for himself. 
Now that's, that's quite alarming, you know. In uh, Acts, the 16th chapter, and you don't have to turn there, but when Paul and Silas were in prison, do you know why they were in prison? Somebody, somebody just raise your hand and tell me why they were in prison. Now a lot of you know. Sister Rhode, you remember? They were preaching about Jesus. What particular event happened that caused them to be placed in prison? They cast the demon out of a lady who had this business set up where she was telling fortunes. And she was working for a group of men. Well, what happened was uh, the apostles then, they went on preaching the, preaching the word of the Lord and, and so forth. And then all the crowds began to gather and the men took their money. And they would go in there and sit down in front of this lady. And uh, they would say, now tell me my fortune. She'd read their palm. I don't know if that's how she did it, but I don't know what method she used. But, but she was just blank. She couldn't tell them a thing. Nothing. So the men came back out and says, we want our money back. I mean, she's not producing. She couldn't tell me one thing about tomorrow. And so they were getting their money back, and these men who were keeping the money, they got very, very upset about it. What did they do? They cast, they went and got Paul and Silas, stopped a big meeting they were having, captured them, took them down. They, they were placed in prison. But when midnight came, while everybody was sleeping and such, what do you think these men were doing? Were they down praying for themselves? Now, I wondered about this myself. If I had been in prison after casting a demon out of somebody, and I, I don't know, I would have probably been up praying, God, now you know I had enough power to cast the demons out. I would you open the door and let me out. Because I have power with you, Lord. And I am one of your chosen ones. No, they didn't pray like that, did they? In fact, they were just as cool as a cucumber, so to speak. <clears throat> and, and they just, what did they do at midnight? They praised God and they worshiped the Lord. Isn't that something? Well, if you turn back to the fourth and fifth chapter of the book of Acts, there was, there was a man healed who was placed by the gate called Beautiful. That's in Acts 3. And he went leaping and praising the Lord inside the temple, a place he had never been able to go. And, of course, what happened was that they, uh, they, they went to Peter and John, who'd cast the devil out, and not cast the devil out, who had healed this man. And uh, they were very, very upset about it. They just didn't, didn't like what he had done. Now, they could not deny that this had happened because they knew this man was above 40 years of age. And they had seen him out there. But uh, they put the men in prison overnight, just, just kept them overnight, because it was near the evening, and they weren't going to question them or try them then. And uh, what had happened then, they... They uh, they beat them one time and let them go. And then they placed them in prison again and they got out. 
the angel of the Lord just opened the door and, and let them out. That's what the Bible says in Acts 5, 19. But I want you to look at a prayer in which they prayed. Uh, in Acts, the fourth chapter. They prayed a prayer in Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now that's not just them, but this is the church praying. Now how do we want this to happen, Lord? By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. As they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now, isn't that something? What? <clears throat> now, I don't really know how I would feel if I knew I had been threatened, and Brother O'Neill had been threatened, Brother Cox had been threatened, and, and the other ministers here, Brother Crowder, Brother Seidel, and all of you men. And, and perhaps we were down being questioned, and we'd been beaten, and we'd been uh, everything. And, and you folks all got together and prayed, and you never even prayed for us. You just prayed for the cause of the Lord. That's what they were praying. And what they were saying is, now, they have been commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus, but God give them boldness to do it anyway. Now, uh, you know, if you, if you don't watch your prayers, would go something like this. Now, God... You know what the Bible says. And these, these political rulers cannot usurp authority. Now God strikes somebody dead down there. And wake them all up. They didn't pray for death. You know what they prayed for? Healing. Is that what they prayed for? Isn't that amazing? You, you, you can, as you, as you read this, you see, you, you get the gist of, of what's... So unselfish. God, just perform miracles. Heal people. Let the people see your greatness and let the people see your goodness. Let them understand that you're the great God of heaven. And grant to those leaders of ours boldness to preach it as it is. And that's what they received. They were placed in prison. The angel of the Lord came to open the door and brought them outside. The angel said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now what do you think it's saying of this life? That's speak all the words of eternal life. No damned in, uh, condemnation. They were not there to place damnation upon the people. Just go out there and that's what the angel told him. He said, go out there and, and speak about the goodness of eternal life. And, and you know that God had the power to, to well, in fact, they, they had locked them all up. That is, the, the leaders. But the angel of the Lord just came and opened the, the door by night and said, now go out there and stand. Tell everybody about how good God is and the benefits of eternal life. Isn't that something? 
Fantastic. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It sours the whole cause of Christianity. I don't know how long I've been going here, but I think my time is just about up. I, I think it would be necessary for us to look, however, at the will of God. You see, the will of God will never cause you heartache. Now, when, you, when I say heartache, please understand that you may be tried and tested and such, but, but, but people in life, for the most part, have trials. You ever met anybody that didn't have a trial? Almost everybody has trials. Uh, some bear those easier than others. And some people, you never know they're going through a trial. And they are. But all of us who are natural human beings, we may have some angels here. But all of us who are natural human beings, we have troubles. We really do. But the will of God is a safe place that brings happiness. It really does. And the only way a man will ever know the will of God is through self-denial. Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 1 and 2, contains the secret for knowing, always knowing the will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Does that sound like what Jesus was saying, except a man deny himself? A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will God. Now that tells us what we must do to know the will of God. What must we do? We must deny ourselves. And then when we deny ourselves, we must be willing to change our mind to conform to the mind of God. Now don't be changed back into the fashion of the world. Because the world is full of hatefulness, bitterness, and selfishness. Where does it all come from? From Satan. So that's how we know the will of God. Do you know what we need to see? We really need to see that. We need to see it here at Calvary Gospel Church, and not only here, but throughout our world. And I really think the Lord has really been dealing with me about this. We need to see more and more and more Miracles of God. And could it be that we're not seeing as many as what we need to see because so much of our Christian walk is predicated upon us and not Him? So often we want to take out vengeance on people. You remember what the disciples said one time when a situation occurred they didn't particularly like. They said, should we call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus said, ye know not what spirit ye are of. 
in Mark the 16th chapter. He said unto them, Go and preach unto all the world, or go ye unto all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. See, the gospel really doesn't mean bad news, does it? It means good news. Christians ought to be good news to a community, not bad news. And, and I really do believe this, and I've said this many, many times. Before you can preach the good news, you've got to be the good news. Because people don't like bad news people telling them what to do. And there's some people that are just bad news when they come around. In other words, they just it's like turning the lights out when they walk in. Well, I don't think that Christians ought to be doing handstands all the time. You know, there has to be a, a mark of soberness about you. You've got to be the good news. And the gospel is the good news. And you see, that's what you're supposed to preach. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast uh, shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But while we are performing all of these things, and while we are preaching all of these things, it ought to be, the tenor of all of it ought to be a message of good news. Sometimes it's not that way. And I understand there's a place in which people need to be warned. The Bible tells us that we should warn people. We should rebuke with all long-suffering. But, but sometimes we can get in the rut, you know, because we've got the power and such, and we've got the truth, we can get in the rut of telling everybody, bless God, it's Jesus' name, baptism, or you're going to split hell wide open. And you become a bad news individual trying to bear good news. But the good news of the kingdom is, if you're baptized in Jesus' name, you have the distinct privilege of inheriting the kingdom. Praise God. Hallelujah. Do you know that Jesus Christ wants to come and He wants to heal you and He wants to make you all whole? It's the good news. Praise God. I say it's the good news. But you see, when it's not the good news, you know what happens? Or you know why it isn't the good news? Because there's an element of selfishness that's put out in the front. All of us, we've got our own way in which we like to see it done. And sometimes we're so eager to make the mark ourselves, and we have to do it right now, right then, even at the expense of driving somebody away eternally. Now, I, I, you may disagree with me on this, but I believe that souls have seasons. And there are some times that you could preach your head off to people and they wouldn't listen to you. And timing in the kingdom of God is a very, very important thing. Even Jesus Christ himself waited until certain times to do certain things. I can prove that according to Scripture. And you see, we've got the power, and we chomp at the bits and so forth. Isn't it great, however, to know that there is a point, God has made it so, that we can lose ourselves 
in the cross to the point where we don't spoil everything we touch. You see, I, I cannot save people. I can't heal anybody. I can't. I just can't do it. I wish I could, but I can't. Because you see, I wear a robe of flesh that that is corrupt. It has it has to be disciplined daily and put under. I just thank the Lord, though, that He put something inside of me big enough and powerful enough to take care of this robe of flesh. But it's the life of the Lord that's in me. It's not me. What did Jesus pray in Matthew 5? I, pray, I say, pray, instruct, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You see, going back to the real basis of Christianity, the whole thing started out with a message of repentance. When Jesus Christ came upon the scene, John the Baptist was already preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's all he was doing. Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Yes. Nailing oneself to the cross of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Sister Grant, I want you to come back. Glory to God. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I think it'd be good right now if everybody would just close their eyes and lose themselves, could you do that? Into the purpose of the Lord. Don't worry about a thing around you right now. Let's be totally in one mind and one accord. As we blend into the cross. I want to live the way you want me to live. And let's sing this right to Jesus. Would you do it right now? I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. I could never, ever outlove you, Lord. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to give. Until there's just no more to give. I want to love no more love. Could never, ever out love 
altar. And I would like for all of you, if you would, to find a place to kneel and pray. And we're just going to sing this song for a few more times. Either come up now and take a look at these prayer requests that are here. Because we had our prayer meeting when church first started. That's the reason why we didn't read these. But they're just as important as the others. We just want to encourage everybody to turn them in to start with. If you don't read them now, read them later. But if you would like to come and read these now and then find a place to pray, I would appreciate it. I want to live.